I am Mike Gorman, the voice of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to The Shootaround. Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Shootaround on Sunday, March 25th. I'm Nick Harvell. Alongside me today is Mr. Chan and Adam Fairman. How are you? What's going on, guys? Today on the show, we're going to talk about all the potential playoff matchups. The Boston Celtics injury bug will be our center of discussion for the Causeway update, and we'll even get to talk about other noise from around the league, which includes the Warriors' late-season struggles, LeBron and Dame's case for MVP, the Kawhi Leonard and Markel Fultz injury mystery, March Madness, and we'll finally give our take on the biggest NBA standout and disappointment players of the regular season. All that and more on today's show, but before we get into it, I would like to announce today's shoot-around Instagram shout of the day, which goes to CWJ Hoops. Thanks for showing the support, Connor. Anyways, let's get right into it. The NBA playoffs begin in a little under a month, and uh, currently the conferences are set at the Raptors playing the Heat in the first round, Celtics playing the Bucks, Cavaliers playing the Wizards, and the Sixers playing the Pacers. So we'll get started with the East before we move out West, but um, you know, a matchup I'd like to see sometime this playoffs is a uh, celtic Buck first round. I think that would be a good first matchup. You get to see Giannis showcase his skills against this injury-riddled Celtic team, and I think that could be an interesting first round, you know. Uh, the injury bug is a real thing today for the Celtics, and, um, you know, I think Milwaukee could give us a run for our money if Kyrie isn't back on the court. I mean, playoff basketball is a whole different animal. I feel like Giannis could single-handedly take over that series, so as a Celtics fan, that scares me, but uh, a series that I think would be worth watching would be Cavaliers-Wizards, especially with a uh, healthy John Wall back for the Wizards. Uh, I think, especially with Cleveland's defensive struggles, that could be uh, an upset potentially in the making due to John Wall's freak athleticism and Brad Beal shooting and the emergence of Otto Porter and uh, Kelly Oubre. So it's certainly interesting, and the East isn't as bad as it uh, was made out to be in the offseason. Uh, I'm just interested to see if uh, the Raptors are going to play like they've been playing lately or if they're going to revert back to their old identity of iso ball and choking in the playoffs because, um, you know, to be honest, injuries aside from the Celtics, I think the Raptors have been playing out of their minds. Um, they've done a lot better job of moving the ball. Uh, I think that if the Celtics play the Bucks in the first round, that'll present a very interesting matchup. Not a favorable matchup for the Celtics if we're not if we can't get healthy in time. Um, not just because of Giannis, but because the Bucks got Bledsoe, they got Jabari back, and um, you know they're they're a young, athletic, fearless force to be reckoned with. All right, so moving out west, uh, let's get into these potential playoff matchups. So right now, uh, the Houston Rockets are set to face off against the Utah Jazz. The Warriors are set to play the Timberwolves. The Trailblazers playing the Spurs, and the Thunder playing the Pelicans. So. Something that's not uh, set in stone right now, which I would love to see, is a first-round matchup between Golden State and Oklahoma City. I think seeing, uh, you know, playoff Westbrook, uh, Paul George duo going against an injury-riddled Warriors team where they have a clear rivalry with each other, I think that would make a very entertaining first round, and uh, that's just something I'd love to see happen. I feel like, I feel like watching the Thunder game last night and watching Melo just inevitably choke the uh, the final final uh, chance to win away. I feel like that series would, would be fun on paper, but realistically the Thunder, I don't see, I don't see them having the, uh, the, the defense or the um, firepower to, I guess, take the Warriors. I feel like honestly, it's only 
it's only the Rockets who I would stand a chance in my mind. The Warriors are just they're so good. It's 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 as simple as that. I just there are teams who can get a game or two off them. I just feel like uh, the Rockets are the only real legitimate threat to them. Even you think, despite with Curry being out in the second round, you just think it won't be an issue for the Warriors to get past OKC if they do in fact need. I mean, Durant's the second best player in the NBA, and Klay Thompson is one of the best shooters in the NBA. You have Draymond Green, Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, that team could. I think the the Warriors without Steph Curry would probably still be a top two, top three seed if they played the whole season without him. Yeah, and Quinn Cook's also been putting up numbers, like yeah. really low key for the Warriors uh, during Steph's absence. Uh, Mr. Chan, what do you think? Uh, I think the Warriors are definitely more vulnerable without Steph, um, but they have so much firepower. I mean, in the West, it feels like a lot of teams just try to go for shootouts instead of trying to get any stops. I mean, that's the Mike D'Antoni away with in Houston anyway. And, you know, the game has changed to a point where there are so many shooters. There are so many guys who are capable of lighting it up. Um, you know, but I, I do think that if they don't have Steph, uh, they're a little bit more vulnerable. Maybe not so much uh, against Oklahoma City, but, um, you know, against a team like the, the Timberwolves or the Pelicans. I'm not saying they'll lose the series, but teams with legitimate big men could actually give them trouble. Yeah, let's talk about the Pelicans for a sec. They've been balling out since Boogie Cousins went down. I mean, they don't, they look like a better team without him. Well, I mean, Boogie also came in like, you know, like he, he was still starting to just gel with them. But I I actually think that as a team, they, they play really well because I think with, with Boogie, as talented as he is, he kind of requires like a certain number of touches. And when that happens and uh, it kind of, slogs down the ball movement a little bit and um you know as talented as boogie is i think the rest of the team is stepping up i think the other key for the pelicans is the fact that um you know i think meritish has made a difference in spacing and um i think drew holiday uh he's played and started in 73 games him being healthy is also very big because i think that people underrate him a ton he's a very talented point guard yeah he's a great two-way player all right, so that's all we got for the playoff update, but now let's get right into Celtics basketball. Uh, you know, winners of three straight now. Uh, you know, you got the crazy Marcus Morris game winner against OKC. You got him taking over against Portland, dropping 30 points, and then you have the great team effort, Terry Rozier dropping 33 uh, against Sacramento in a win yesterday. Uh, listen, Kyrie-less Celtics are, have been getting it done recently. I mean, hopefully, all, all we need to do right now is just maintain our playoff position, but... I mean, this group's looking pretty good without him. I think I, I think that's a uh, major testament to Brad Stevens. Um, just the fact that, I mean, the t- the the Celtics lost Gordon Hayward on the first first night of the season, obviously, and they are approaching 55, 60 wins. I mean, you you can't pick out um, very many teams who, when you you lose their second, arguably best player on the team, they can still uh, have the success that they do. So I feel like. It's obviously nice that all these players are stepping up in the absence of Kyrie and Jalen Brown and Smart, but I think it's really just a testament to Brad Stevens and just how amazing of a coach he is. Well, I still think that the the Celtics roster, um, even with these injuries, I think the talent overall is just a lot better than what we had last year on the roster. Um, I think, you know, Smart Rozier has developed. Smart um, is another year older and more mature. Um, I think, you know, for for Smart to come back, I think Marcus Morris was better than, you know, most of the guys coming off the bench that we have. 
Um, I think that, um, you know, when you look at the rest of the team, Tatum is a huge upgrade um, over Jay Crowder. Um, I think that off the bench, we got Greg Monroe, who I think is, you know, we had talked about, he, he's going to be an impact player. Um, I just think that this roster has more talent, and, and it gives Stevens more options. And even when guys are injured, uh, it allows our other role players to absorb up more experience, to learn from their mistakes. And, um, you know, when this team gets healthy, whether it's this year or next year, we're going to be really dangerous. Yeah, I, I, for sure. We're going to be a force we reckon with when we're fully healthy. But uh, we just got some breaking news on Twitter, uh, a Shams bomb. He tweeted that the Chicago Bulls have signed guard Sean Kilpatrick to a three-year, $6.2 million deal. And uh, keep in mind, this was a guy that just a few days ago was announced that he was going to come to the Celtics, but uh, a deal fell through. And so, I mean, that's a guy who I think the Celtics could have used, a good little scoring punch off the bench. He's got a little bit of experience. He's been from team to team. He knows kind of the culture of different locker rooms. So, I mean, he's not going to do much in Chicago other than just score the ball, but I think he could have had a good impact. I mean, I, I personally think, you know, Sean Kilpatrick is one of those underrated role players. Um, I'm, again, I'm a little biased. Uh, one of my college classmates, uh, one of my college friends, Tori Thomas, who played for Holy Cross, went to White Plains High School and uh, is pretty good friends with Sean Kilpatrick. Um, they know each other. And just from what I gather, you know, he is one of those underrated prospects uh, who's just a grinder and, uh, you know, kid can get hot in a hurry. Yeah, for sure. Uh so moving on from Celtics talk, let's get to some noise around the other league. Let's just start by talking about uh, the whole Kawhi Leonard situation down in San Antonio. So uh, a few days ago, the Spurs held an emotional, or just what was described as an emotional players-only meeting with Kawhi. It was just players from the team like trying to talk to him and convince him to try and play again this year. And um, you know he is medically cleared to play. But this whole San Antonio situation, I feel like, has been kind of overshadowed all season by the whole Markel Fultz drama. But, I mean, this is some big news. I, I, I don't think Kawhi has a real future in San Antonio beyond the season. I feel like for someone with Kawhi, it's really tough to predict because he's not very he's not outspoken. He isn't, he isn't out here yelling about, oh, I need to be traded, I need more minutes. So I feel like he's... He's like the opposite of IT. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's really reserved, so... I guess we can all make our speculations. None of us really know what's wrong with him, too. So it's kind of all just what we're hearing at this point. But, I mean, it's certainly interesting with how long he's been held out and for uh, all, like, the meetings, all the media attention. It's just – and it's, it's really had an effect on their season. I mean, they're sitting sixth in the West right now. But then again, they're two and a half games out of not being in the playoffs. So, like, anything's possible. But I just feel like it's – uh. It's kind of mirror imaging with, with Markel Fultz, too, where an image that wasn't like a nasty injury like Gordon Hayward's is, has kept them out for such an, uh, an extended uh, and unexpected period of time. Um, I mean, I think I would hold judgment on it. I just think that maybe the quad injury was more serious than people had realized. And the way, I mean... One, it's hard to see what goes on behind the scenes. But two, um, this might be a sports psychology situation, you know, where, you know, his confidence and mentally, for whatever reason, he's not ready to go back on the court. Um, I think that Pop is doing the best with what, what he can on the roster. But without Kawhi, I mean, they got Aldridge, who, you know, I think is... He's having a really a good bit, year. He's having a good year, but at the same time, I just... He's not that alpha dog you need. He's also 32 years old. 
you know, Parker, Ginobili, those guys, you know, all over the hill. Rudy Gay at this point in time is, you know, I mean, he's peaked. Mm-hmm. But Pop is, you know, maximizing him uh, as much as he could. I think that if, um, you know, if Kawhi was healthy, Rudy Gay and Kawhi could both, um, you know, could have could have given Pop, like, some very versatile options. I think they're, the, the tension, if there is any, uh, I think, you know, if I were to guess, guys probably understand why um, Kawhi might be more reserved, more conservative in coming back. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, guys want to win, and they know how much they need him. Yeah, right, for sure. I mean, I think it was Tony Parker that came out and said, like, my quad injury last year was 100 times worse than Kawhi's, like, and I came back in a shorter amount of time. So, like, there's obviously some tension there, but it's also just a, a sense of urgency, like these guys that, like you mentioned, are over the hump. They're past their prime, and they want to have one more shot at winning a championship potentially. And there's no chance whatsoever of San Antonio going anywhere in the playoffs without Kawhi. So, uh, yeah, very interesting and shaky story all around. But uh, let's talk about another interesting story, Markel Fultz. Uh, you know, he's been said to make some improvements. Again, he's also medically cleared to play. But uh, do you guys think that Markel Fultz is going to end up being living up to a number one pick, uh, pick hype? Or is he going to be, um, you know, down there as one of the busts, like with the Anthony Bennett's and the Kwame Browns? I don't think he'll be at Anthony Bennett level. I mean, he's got the tools, like, physically. And I think that, you know, his, his handles and stuff is still there. He still could get to the rim. But I think it'll take a little bit for him to recover psychologically from all this. Um, my biggest question is, and probably perhaps a question that will never be answered, is I just wonder why or, you know, what really happened behind the scenes for him to want to go and change up his shot on his own like that. Uh, it's just, you know, it's uncalled for. Like, why would you fix something that got you to be the number one pick overall? Uh, so I'm more interested in that. And, you know, is, is he getting bad advice from people around him? Because if he is, then, you know, <laughs> is he going to get bad advice again eventually somewhere down the line? I feel like I feel like his success levels in the future depend on how how well he rebounds from his quote unquote injury, I guess. Um, I mean, it's possible to be a successful NBA player without a jump shot, like Ben Simmons, but um, I feel like especially for a point guard of Markel Fultz caliber or potential caliber, I feel like he just really needs uh, the jump shot that he had at Washington. Um, Mr. Chan said it best, I, I just don't see why he tinkered with it. It really wasn't a glaring issue. Maybe his free throw percentage was a bit down. I think it was mid-60s. But uh, it's certainly interesting and kind of troubling for the Sixers to see all of their number one picks, Embiid, Simmons, Fultz, uh, mid-extended period, periods of time due to injuries. But I, I guess we just have to wait and see to see uh, if we can really clarify him as a bust or not. Well, the Sixers took Markel Fultz on account of his scoring and ability to hit jump shots. That's the reason they wanted a scoring point guard, because they have a guy like Simmons who can literally run the offense and facilitate. They wanted to score, and Markel Fultz was the number one pick because of his jump shot. And so if you if that gets taken away, I can't see Philly looking at Markel Fultz as a successful draft pick at all. Even if he puts up solid numbers, you know his role on this team was to be a guy who's there to score and just knock down the three ball. Yeah, well, so I mean, you know, like the, the toughest part about it is that 
you know, he my guess is for whatever reason that he tinkered with his jump shot, he tinkered with it so much that he completely lost all his confidence in it and basically forgot what a good jump shot looks like. And so I think that as long as he gets the right people around him, he'll be able to fix his jump shot. Because at the end of the day, you know, like personally, I've helped high school players reconstruct their jump shots before. And it takes a lot of work. But it's like really intense off-season full of work. You get live reps in to get your shots up, to get it up at game speed, and then you're good to go. It might be awkward at first, but like you can only trend up once you fix it. So the, the, the question is, is he going to get the right person to be able to truly fix it? Yeah, I mean, that, that seemed like that was the main, main issue. You heard a lot about, like, his personal trainers and stuff. That, like, they were the reason he was tinkering. The whole, the whole situation is, like, there's no confirmed facts, but we've heard that it's his trainers that really mess that up. Well, I mean, again, the, the advice that people get, especially NBA stars get around him, is so important. Um, you know, there's just, uh, with the recent, you know, with the recent NCAA scandals, um, there's there are too many guys out there who want to latch onto young stars um, for their own benefit rather than actually looking out for the for the kids' interest. And so, oftentimes, you end up with a lot of young NBA players who get drafted high. Um, they're making tons of money, and then they have these leeches who think that they should dictate what these stars should do. And often, they they actually take millions of dollars from a lot of these players. Right, for sure. All right, so let's shift into the uh, NCAA tournament right now. This is the first time I think we talked about college basketball or, like, really, like, kind of gone, talked about our own little segment for it, is uh, the March Madness. And, boy, the brackets were busted this year. Um, you know, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with the upsets. You know, let's just start with the, the biggest one, UMBC beating Virginia. I mean, I, is, this, is this the craziest upset in sports? Um, I mean – Odds-wise, because of the seeding, yes. But if you look at the matchup, I think it was just, um, you know, one, UMBC got hot and, and his shots went, you know, like their, their offense worked. But two, it was the perfect situation in terms of stylistic matchup. And that's the beauty in the NCAA. Uh, Virginia's offense works really well in the ACC and against the top teams in the country. Because they're able to slow it down and grind it down, right? But against a lesser seed that doesn't have as much talent, who wants to slow it down, they're at a disadvantage. And, and instead of speeding the game up and actually trying to push the tempo, they kept it at a slow pace. And I think that played right into UMBC's hands. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, you know, UMBC in terms of just their personnel matched up perfectly with what Virginia had. And Virginia could not guard that little speedy, quick point guard from UMBC. Um, after that point, I kind of just rooted for absolute madness since my bracket was basically gone since then. And I, The uh, biggest upset in sports, maybe, you can argue uh, – when the Red Sox came back from down 0-3 in the series, I mean that's probably more improbable. But I mean, it was it was honestly just I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And another upset that I was uh, kind of triggered by at the time because I had this team going all the way to the championship game was Arizona falling in the first round. I mean, at that point, like, so you said that your UMBC game was when your bracket tanked. That was my bracket bracket down <laughs> out the window. 
Something I found uh, kind of interesting was watching the uh, NBA prospects like like your uh, DeAndre Aytons, your Jaron Jackson Juniors, Mo Bamba, Marvin Bagley, and I don't want to say I wasn't impressed by them, but um, so, some of these people, some of these players, I guess, didn't really have like a standout performance that made me go, "Wow, like this team needs him." I love DeAndre Aiton. I think he's a I think he's a monster next to Carl Anthony Towns, but uh, Marvin Bagley has never really had a good impression on me because he doesn't doesn't have a jump shot. He just seems like a someone who's just getting by on athleticism. Um, but Mo Bamba and Jaron Jackson Jr. are appealing to me from a Celtics fan standpoint because they're two. Uh, I would describe them as just dominant forces in the paint and just shot blocking defense and everything. And uh, I was really impressed by them. And I w- I've also been uh, pretty impressed with the point guard from uh, Kentucky. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, but he had, a, he had a really, really good tournament, and I think he raised his draft stock. Yeah. Um, I mean, I personally think that, um, you know, a couple of, couple of takeaways from it. Like, Aiden had a bad tournament game, but I also think it's because Buffalo had a really good game plan, and, uh, you know, they kind of dared – the Arizona non-shooters to beat them. And then that's the beauty in the college game is that, you know, a lot of times you might not see guys that, I mean, you see guys that could lead their teams to championship games and, you know, have breakout performances, but then don't perform well in the NBA. So I think it's, it's really important to have the caveat when you watch uh, the tournament and these NBA prospects to not so much look at their numbers per se um, within the tournament as much as we should look at, um, you know, what tools they bring th- in terms of the game that they bring to the table. Like, for I'll give you an example. Adam Morrison, absolute stud. Right? Jimmer Fredette, absolute stud. Didn't right. really translate. Right? Jason Tatum, pretty solid, pretty damn good player. Right? Translated really well. You know, um, you got Kemba Walker, who took UConn to a championship. Balling out in the NBA took him a few years to, to become more efficient. And then you got Shabazz Napier, who, you know, is starting to kind of come into his own, but didn't have the immediate impact that they did. But um, looking at this year's draft prospects, I, I felt like, for me, Trey Young um, definitely moved down on, on my list of top draft prospects. I think that um, he, he took a lot of questionable shots in that game down the stretch. I think it was an overtime and like there are a couple, he, he just kind of heat checked the three in a tight moment when he should should have worked the ball around. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, URI I don't think had stopped him from being able to go to the hoop all day, and URI also had a size disadvantage. So at the end of the day, you know, Trey Young, very skilled player, the decision making part can be coached out of him, high potential guy, but you know that's one example of a guy who, on my list, uh, definitely went down. Um, I think that you know Bagley. For me, um, I've been impressed with his body of work this year in terms of the tools and the skills that he brings. He just seems like he has a ton of poise. Um, I think that one of the reasons why Duke lost yesterday was actually because Grayson Allen tried to do too much instead of trusting Gary Trent Jr., who's their best outside outside shooter, as well as Marvin Bagley. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all very interesting takes. Um you know, a player who I am going to be curious to watch come the NBA draft, like where he falls, is Michael Porter Jr. 
this is a guy that, you know, we didn't really get any look at whatsoever this regular season uh, for college. And, uh, you know, Missouri was just knocked out immediately in the first round uh, in the tournament. And so, I mean, where do you think his draft stock is today? I think he's still, based on potential, I think he's still a top five pick. Kid can stroke it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a 6'10 kid. The 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 biggest concern and, and the biggest thing that teams would have to look at is how serious is that back injury? Is it going to have long-lasting implications? Because it, it was a pretty serious surgery. And, and, you know, you don't want to draft a kid who's getting a recurring back injury. So, you know, like you don't want the next Tracy McGrady who's breaking down at an even younger age. You know, the kid's 6'10", so there's a lot of stress on his body. So you want to make sure you do your homework and uh, make sure his physical is good to go. Uh, at the same time, I just think that his upside and his ability to be able to score the basketball at a 6'10 frame is just too hard to pass on. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, this NBA draft with all the teams. I, I also think, you know, you're looking at the Celtics, you know, as much as we root against the Lakers, I don't think we're going to get that Lakers pick. I don't think we're going to get that Lakers pick either, unfortunately. Uh, unless, you know, we really, really luck out. But if you look at it, you know, Boston still has a late first-round pick. So I'd actually be very interested to see, um, you know, who who we could draft. Um, it'd be interesting because there are a lot of young prospects that are very, very interesting. That are, uh, you know, very high potential players that could slip. I think this draft um, has a ton of has a ton of really good. It's it, people see it as a top heavy draft, but I see a ton of talent. It's actually pretty deep. Um, and so one guy I want to keep an eye on uh, is actually. Brendan McCoy from uh, UNLV. Um, I think he 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 um, you know he he has a lot of potential. He's a seven footer, two hundred fifty five pounds, and could fit what we need. But at the same time, it it also depends if anybody else slips. Um, you know, and that's not even including the international prospects or a kid like Anthony Simmons who right. just was able to bypass and go straight from high school to uh, college. All right, for sure. I mean, to uh, the NBA. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. All right. Uh, last thing we're going to talk about before we wrap up today's episode is we're each going to go down the line and give us our biggest standout and disappointment players so far with the 2017-2018 NBA season wrapping up. All right. We'll go down the line starting with you, Adam. Who have been your biggest NBA standout and disappointment players so far this season? The biggest standout to me has to be LeBron. I get it. It's cliche. I know he's really good, but... With a, with a team that bad on defense and the fact that they are where they are conference-wise, and um, they give up and mid-120s, and they won. I just think LeBron is playing absolutely out of his mind. Sure, we should expect it, but he's just been on another level. And disappointment has to be Isaiah Thomas. I mean, sorry, Nick, but he's just been awful, not going to lie. Um, he's shooting like 20%, something just horrific like that, and... He's honestly hurt every team he's been on more than he's helped. So for someone who's expecting max money, um, I just think he's been a complete disappointment. All right, Mr. Chan, what about you? Um, I think the biggest disappointment for me to start off would be Markel Fultz uh, because I just don't understand why you would go ahead and show up to training camp with a completely different, uh, let alone like a broken jump shot. I mean, that's still to me the, the biggest mystery to me because – I think, you know, I really like this game coming in. I, and I, I really wonder if 
Danny saw something with with Fultz, um, you know, that they kind of stayed away from, or if it was just uh, he saw something in Tatum that he absolutely fell in love with. Um, so I'm interested to see how the Fultz situation plays out. Um, you know, by all accounts, he seems like a very humble, nice young man. So, you know, I, I do hope that he is able to recover and get back on the right track. Um, even though I hope that the success doesn't come against the Celtics. Uh, I think the, the standout for me, um, you know, like I, I'm really partial to looking at Rooks, but, um, you know, standout to me, I have two, two, um, two, uh, two-way tie. And uh, the first man is Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I think he's been absolutely balling out and filled in a hole that Gordon Hayward left. And, uh, you know, freakish athleticism, um, you know, a, a local player from New England, New England prep player, um, who is, you know, really shining on a big stage. So being on an AAU circuit, I really enjoy it when New England kids get to shine at the next level and then the levels beyond that. Um, the man tied with him is uh, Victor Oladipo, who I think that, you know, when the Paul George trade was made, everyone was like, what the heck, man? Like, Indiana gave away Paul George for a bag of chips. Now, Sabonis has been doing all right, but Oladipo seems to have really turned that corner and taken his game to the next level. Yeah, he's emerged into a legit superstar in this league. Yeah, and he, you know, unfortunately, he gives the Celtics a ton of trouble when we play him. Yeah, for sure. All right, and I guess I'll, I'll be here to wrap it up. So my standout player, similar to Adams, is a little cliche, but I got to go with James Harden, and here's why. James Harden is putting up insane averages of 31 points per game, 9, nine assists per game, and 5.5 and rebounds on a team where he's sharing the ball with Chris Paul, who is another guy who's ball-dominant and loves running the offense. And coming into the season, I thought that the Chris Paul trade was a questionable move for Houston for sure. Um, you know, I, didn't, I, I personally didn't think it would work out. I thought Houston was going to be worse this season than they were last season. But, uh, man, I, I was wrong. And James Harden is playing some of the best basketball. He's up there for one of the best scores I've ever seen. So, I mean, for that reason, I just got to give it to James Harden. He, in my opinion, he's also the clear runner for MVP. One can argue LeBron because it's his 15th season and he's still putting up numbers like he did when he was in his early 20s. And, you know, Damian Lillard's starting to make a case for himself late. You know, the Blazers have been starting to win games and are really – knocking themselves out there and hopefully solidifying themselves as the third seed in the West. But uh, for me, James Harden all the way. And the biggest disappointment this season, in my opinion, has been Jaleel Okafor. Guy demands a trade from Philly because he's not playing. Goes to Brooklyn. Still stinks up the court. I mean, Jared Allen is getting minutes over him. I mean, I think that says it all. I mean, Jaleel Okafor, I mean, he had promising numbers his rookie season. He averaged 17 and a half and 7 in just 30 minutes of playing. But, uh, I mean, now he's just playing only 12 minutes a game, scoring six points, getting three rebounds. I mean, this is a guy who just two years ago was the third overall pick in the draft. Again, a, a guy who, you know, as, as we talked about earlier when we projecting prospects, he put up pretty good numbers, helped to, to a national championship. And he put up good numbers his rookie year, too. Like, these are solid numbers for... They're solid, but I think that, you know, the, the toughest part about him is that I just 
don't think he has the lateral quickness or the athleticism to really compete consistently. Or the effort level. on defense. He just, he, I mean, he's not a good rim protector or a defender. He doesn't have the vertical to be able to contest shots. And I think his offensive game is very limited. Mm-hmm. I mean, I agree with all those points you said there. But, uh, I mean, he is only 22, so we'll see if he can turn it around eventually. But, um, yeah, he's my biggest disappointment of the season. And, uh, all right, guys, that's that's all we got going for this episode. Uh, be sure to tune in later this week when we will have guest Erin Lewis on the show. She is the group sales manager uh, for the Boston Celtics. She's going to give us a little uh, cool perspective of some behind-the-scenes action. So stay tuned for that. And uh, thanks for tuning in, guys.